Hello, it's great to have you join us today. The vision is for you to see Jesus and then be able to show him to someone. Please grab your Bible and notepad as we journey together in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved. Hello, it's so great again having you join us on today's class and uh, I want to remind us very quickly that the purpose again of this class, the purpose of our learning here is for us to know Christ, for us to grow in our knowledge of Christ Jesus and not only that, to be able to transfer that knowledge, to be able to share that knowledge with someone. So I encourage you, if you are joining us right now, please and please partner with God, partner with what God is doing on the heart right now, which is saving men. And he's doing that through the knowledge of his son, Christ Jesus through the message of his death, his burial and resurrection. So when we come here and then we learn together to grow in our knowledge of Christ, we partner with God when we share the same to others. And I encourage you to do that. Like, subscribe, share, teach somebody today about Christ. It is well with you all in the name of Jesus. So today... Uh, let's get right into what we have. Uh, to begin, I will start from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 16 that we have read, we see that scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, have just one purpose which is what to make the reader to make the student of scriptures wise in the matters of salvation so we have established through several classes that we have had up to now that the proof of salvation the text of salvation is the scriptures salvation is not a a, a a product of man's imagination it's not a product of literature <laughs> it's not a product of mindsets or dreams or visions rather salvation which is in christ jesus is found in the pages of the scriptures what salvation means would be explained exclusively from scriptures glory to jesus and we also see in verse 16 that this same salvation this same subject this same knowledge from the scripture is what not only saves men unto salvation as says as 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 recorded in verse 15 it is also the same message that equips the saved so from birth of a believer to maturity of the believer it is the message of salvation, the message of the scriptures. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So today, uh, we are going to be continuing in what we have been looking at over several weeks now. Recall, we have been looking at why a believer cannot lose his salvation. And to help us do that, we laid some foundation. And then from there, we went on to start examining from the scriptures certain concepts used by the Holy Ghost to communicate the subject of salvation in the epistles. Remember, in the foundation that we laid, we saw from the scriptures themselves, Genesis to Malachi, we saw how salvation has always been the idea. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus has been the idea from the beginning. How Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was not an afterthought. But what had always been God's plan for mankind from the very beginning, 
we saw how faith in Christ has always been the entry point, even into the salvation plan of God. Glory to Jesus. We saw from Genesis to Malachi all of these things. And then we came to a point where we wanted to consider the epistles and how through the ministry of the Holy Ghost by the apostles, you know, they interpret the scriptures even to communicate concepts about salvation. So that is what we are still on right now. You would recall we, we, we have considered the concept of salvation being God's predestination by foreknowledge. How that God in his foreknowledge of man, in his foreknowledge of the fact that man would get into a predicament that he cannot rescue himself from, God made a preparation of his solution long before man you know, realized his need for that solution. And that solution that God predestinated, okay, was Christ Jesus. Okay, so God, by his foreknowledge, predestined that in Christ there will be solution to man's problem, which is sin. Glory to Jesus. So that's the idea of foreknowledge and predestination. We saw that at first as one of the concepts of salvation. From there on, we went on to salvation is reconciliation. And then we established that reconciliation speaks to the fact that there is no more space between God and man. Jesus Christ repaired that, that, that gulf. Jesus Christ filled the space. So no more space. We are reconciled. God himself reconciled man unto himself in Christ Jesus. So again, we saw God pre, you know, uh, uh, predestinating man, okay, according to foreknowledge, okay, and then God reconciling man unto himself. And then thirdly, we saw God propitiating for the sins of man in Christ Jesus. So that was the third concept of salvation that we looked at. And propitiation deals with the satisfaction of God's justice. Okay? God's justice on the sins of man. Jesus Christ satisfied that justice. Glory to Jesus. Then, uh, number four, we saw that salvation is redemption. Salvation is God redeeming man unto himself. Again, the concept of redemption speaks about how man, how God bought out man, okay, from sin, from the devil. How God brought out man to be owned by himself, to be owned by God. Glory to Jesus. So we saw that Jesus is the price that was paid for our redemption. Glory to Jesus. Jesus did not just pay the price. He was the price. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So, of all these four concepts that we have seen, in all these four concepts that we have seen so far, we see that one of the most interesting things that we can gather all through these four concepts so far that we have seen is that salvation is of God. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. Salvation is God's sovereignty. In fact, when the Bible talks about the sovereignty of God, as in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, let's see that. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Salvation is God's work, is entirely, exclusively the work of God. Salvation is of God without human contribution. Let's see Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Then Paul here expatiates, okay, what are those things that work together for the good of those you know, that he has called? Okay, verse 29. For whom he foreknew. So foreknowledge works you know, for man, okay, from God. He also predestined. So God predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The predestination of God is that no one will become a son. No one would find solution. No one would have the solution to the sin problem except in Christ, in his son. Okay? To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, 
whom he predestined, those he also called, whom he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, these he glorified. All these things work together for them that are the called according to his purpose. So we see that God is, you no, know, salvation is God working exclusively to save man. Glory to Jesus. In fact, I was talking about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God doesn't mean God, God can do anything he likes at any time. No. The sovereignty of God, we learned, okay, in our past classes, that the sovereignty of God has to do with the framework of salvation. The fact that God, all by himself, created the plan to save man. That is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is explained within the context of God's exclusive work of salvation. So we saw that no human contribution whatsoever is needed or is valid or is even possible where salvation is concerned. Okay? Hallelujah. So the sovereignty of God, again, is is expressed exclusively in the framework of salvation. We love that already in previous classes also we saw that no according to Romans chapter 5 verse 12 we saw from Romans chapter 5 verse 12 as by one man sin entered and death by sin okay so long before sin and death God provided the cure and this was God's predestination okay God provided the cure and the cure is Jesus Christ glory to Jesus Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Let's see Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see briefly more, uh, just a little more about this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. Verse 4. Let's, let, let's just take verse 4 uh, to save our time. Through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So we see God in action again. Who chose? God chose okay before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us what is the predestination again to adoption as sons by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will we did not apologize for jesus christ to, to come we did not apologize for god to take the salvation action god according to the good pleasure of his will, decided to go all the length to actually save man. Glory to Jesus. Ha! Glory to Jesus. Let's see Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the hair, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see all this, that salvation is God working exclusively to save man, to save you and I. So from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 that we have read, we see that man by nature is useless to God, useless to himself, where salvation is concerned. Man could not. Okay, we were dead in our trespasses. Because of our hopelessness, God had to embark on a self-project, a self-funded, a self-motivated, a self-initiated uh, 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 um, uh, Okay, projects. Okay, a self-executed project. Glory to Jesus. Just like a dead man. Okay, what is the contribution of a dead man to his resurrection? A dead man cannot contribute to his resurrection because he is dead. The only thing he can do is after he has been raised, he rises up on his feet. That was the state of man. That is the state of man. Dead in trespasses and sin. The solution to that 
is Christ Jesus, who gives life and gives it abundantly. Glory to Jesus. In fact, he doesn't give life. He is life. Okay, he made that announcement. I will give you life. Believe on me to those who live then. Now he is life. Believe him, you have life. Receive him, you have life. Glory to Jesus. So, we have established that man is useless where salvation is concerned. It is only God that could carry out, that initiated and that could carry out salvation. So today, with all these four concepts we have seen, we want to go into another concept, which the Holy Ghost uses in the epistles to communicate the subject of salvation, which is again the exclusive work of God, that man is just a recipient of. Glory to Jesus. So, the word that we'll be looking at today, the concept we'll be looking at today is expiation. Expiation. With the Greek word exileosi. Exileosi. Okay, expiation. That word exileosi in the Greek is actually not in the Greek text of the New Testament. Okay, but we have this English word which fully describes the concept, a concept of salvation that was taught in the epistles, that was used by the Holy Ghost in the epistles. So we are going to be doing a little bit of study into where that word, okay, describes, the, in, into the concept that the word describes, expiation. So to begin, what does expiation, what does this word mean? Expiation means to undo a wrong by suffering or by a penalty. Okay, so we see a criminal, and then the criminal has his crimes listed, not overlooked, okay? But he or someone else, himself or someone else, suffers the penalty such that after suffering the full extent of the penalty, the wrong is blotted away. The wrong is undone, okay? The wrong is atoned for. As long as the suffering is accepted, the wrong is blotted. The wrong is undone. Glory to Jesus. That is expiation. That's what expiation no connotes. Okay? Now, this word expiation is similar to propitiation. It's very similar to propitiation in that they are both related to the concept of atoning for wrongdoing. But they have distinct meanings and I just want to quickly go into that so that we can appreciate how this differs from what we learned under salvation is propitiation. Okay, this is expiation. So, propitiation involves satisfying deity to gain favor or forgiveness. Okay, while expiation focuses on the act of atoning for wrongdoing by either making amends or undergoing a process to cleanse oneself from guilt. In other words, we can put it like this, propitiation is directed towards a higher power, towards deity, while expiation is centered on making reparations for one's own actions. So propitiation is about external actions aimed towards a deity, towards a higher power, in order to get good pleasure, in order to get favor from that higher power, Okay, while expiation is self-directed, okay, it's the process of seeking reconciliation. You, you, you direct that towards one's own self, righting the wrong. Glory to Jesus. Let's see what Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 14 says. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 14. Let's see that concept being used by the Holy Ghost here. Glory to Jesus. I'm so excited to, to, to look in the world with you today. Glory. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 14. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let's stop there. So we see, first of all, verse 11, the solution to sin does not require, again, human contribution. Okay? Circumcision made without ends. <laughs> okay? Then we see in verse 14, he blotted it out, blotted out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, ordinances against us. That word blot out is the word exalefo, which deals with a written record. So there's a written record. A record where sins are noted for judgment. Okay? A written record. Okay? Another version we call it certificate of death. We will look into that shortly. Okay? You know, in those days in Israel, when a criminal completes his sentence, that is when the word, the phrase, blot out is used. So when a criminal is sentenced, even maybe uh, uh, some, some years of imprisonment, in the prison cell, there is a notice that is placed there listing all his wrongdoings, all his crimes. The moment he finishes his sentence, that notice is taken away and replaced with another one that says fully paid. Hallelujah. So the notice of his sins is taken away. And that was what you know, Paul is describing here as what Jesus did for you and I, as what Christ did for you and I. Jesus served our prison sentence. Take a minute here. Look at verse 12 and 13. He died our death. Okay? We were buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him. So his death was our death. His burial was our burial. His resurrection was our resurrection. Glory to Jesus. And the moment he did that, verse 14, he wiped clean all the ordinances that were against us, all the notices of our crimes, all the notices of our sins, of our wrongdoings. Glory to Jesus. Let's see Romans chapter 4 verse 25. Tells us something very similar. Okay, Romans 4 25. Who was delivered? Talking about Jesus Christ. Who was delivered up for our offenses? Uh, uh, because of our offenses. Because he is on account of. So Jesus was delivered up on account of our offenses. And was raised because of our justification. Because there is another word there, which is on account of our justification. Which means, if there was one sin, if there was one wrongdoing that was not paid for at Jesus' death and burial, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have been raised. He was raised on account of our justification. Because the punishment has been fully paid, he was then raised. So his resurrection is the receipt that we have that our bills are fully paid. Is the receipt that we have that the whole of our debt is paid by his suffering, by his death, by his burial. The moment he rose up, it means the sentence is fully saved. Glory to Jesus. And no more record of sins. No more record of wrongdoing. No more record of crimes against divinity. Glory to Jesus. And this is what Jesus did for us. So again, Jesus' resurrection is our divine receipt that the debt is fully paid. Note, this is not just about forgiveness. This is a wiping out of the record. Okay? It's one thing for there to be a record and then you are forgiven. It's another thing for there to be a record and the record is wiped clean. Because once the record is wiped clean, it is as though you never did any wrong. Glory to Jesus. It is as though we never did any wrong. And this is what Christ did for you and I. Glory to Jesus. Okay? He wiped out the record. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Let us go back there. What is that record? What is that ordinances? Okay? That was actually against us. Verse 14. 
He wiped out the handwriting of requirements. Another version says the ordinances against us, which was contrary to us. What was that? And you see, that handwriting of requirements is the Greek word, you know, keirographon. means certificate of debt, just as I've been saying. The debt we owe, the certificate that shows that there's a debt that we owe that must be paid back. That is keirographon. That is the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us. Okay, to divine what a, a, a certificate of debt is, it is a bond that is written to show the debt one holds. The bond that is written to show the debt one holds. Let's see 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to uh, expatiate on what that handwriting, what that debt was, what that document was. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul speaks about it here. Okay. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death, written and engraven on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away? How will the ministry of the Spirit be more, not be more glorious? So we see here, let's see verse 9 very quickly. For if the ministry of condemnation add glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So we see three things here. What is that certificate? What is that document? What is that written record? It is the ministry of death which was written and engraved on stones. What was written and engraved on stone, people of God? The Ten Commandments. Glory to Jesus. Exodus chapter 20. Okay, the Ten Commandments. That is the written ordinance. That is what bears a record of the death that we owe. Glory to Jesus. Paul also calls it in verse uh, 6, the letter that killeth. Okay, he also called it the ministry of death in verse 7. Then he called it the ministry of condemnation in verse 9. It is saying the same thing. The Ten Commandments. Okay? He says it is written and engraven on stones. It was the Ten Commandments that were written and engraven on stones. But take note. Aside from the Ten Commandments, which reveal God's standards and man's helplessness in the face of God's standards, that's what the Ten Commandments does. It reveals man's helplessness in the face of God's standards. Okay? There are over 600 laws that regulated you know, the Ten Commandments. What do I mean by regulated? Okay? These 600 plus laws give the details, they expatiate on the Ten. They give the details of the extent or the reach of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so it's a compulsive oath, such that you break one, you break all. That was the ordinance against us. God's standards, and before it, man becomes helpless. Because no one, no one that the psalmist said in Psalms chapter 130, verse 3 and 4. Oh Lord, if thou shalt count iniquity, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared, that you may be reverenced. Glory to Jesus. So before the law, no man qualifies. Let's see more about that. The document that was written, that was kept to bring out our death, which is the law. Let's see Romans chapter 5 verse 13. Romans chapter 5 verse 13. Just follow along with me. A lot of scriptures is good for our spiritual health. <laughs> My pastor says that a lot. Romans chapter 5 verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So do we hear that? What gave power? What gave condemnation? What brought condemnation? Sin was in the world long before the law came. But when the law came, sin became imputed. Okay? Sin became a thing. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, from verse 8, he said, Sin took occasion by the law, took occasion of the law, even to rot in me all manner of concupiscences. 
Okay? For without the law, sin was dead. So what brought condemnation for the fallen state of man was the law. That was the written document that a debt is hold. In the law court today, as long as something is not in black and white, as long as there is no evidence of something, a man cannot be held by that situation. If a man is, 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 is alleged to have killed someone, if there is no evidence of that, of that act, a man cannot be held. The moment there is an evidence, then the man is punishable. That was the law. So sin took occasion of the law and kept man and kept me, kept you and I in bondage. So we became punishable by the law. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why, no, Paul went on in Romans chapter 7 verse 9. He said, once I was, I, I was alive apart from the law. Okay? But when the law came, sin revived. Sin came alive and I died. Okay? The revival of sin, the strength of sin is the law. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's see Romans chapter 3 verse 19 as well. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Let's see more about this. What is that document? The document is the Ten Commandments, which made us punishable. Okay, punishable under that, that document. Okay, glory to Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So that was the purpose of the law to stop every mouth from bragging. By the standards of the law, no man qualifies. Regardless of what you have done, what you do, regardless of your morality, the level of your uh, 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 morality, regardless of what you have amassed or what you think you may have done to qualify, you do not qualify. You amount to nothing. Isn't it interesting? Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, our righteousness, oh God, is as few rags before the Lord. Okay? Our righteousness. Are you, aren't you surprised that it doesn't say our unrighteousness? If Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says our unrighteousness is as filthy rags before God, that would have been very alright, right? Yeah, very okay. In fact, that is the common knowledge. Every unrighteousness oh, is filthy rags to God. But no, the scripture says our righteousness. Wow. So the best a man can amount to is what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags there is what? Bloody tampons. Okay? Bloody tampons. Or menstrual cloth. <laughs> that is the best my righteousness, your righteousness can amount to before the standard of God. And the law makes us realize this. The law brings this to the surface. Okay? We treated more on the law in previous classes. You can locate that in this series, I think part one or part two of this series, we treated something related to that. You can update yourself. So let's see more about the characteristics of this ordinance that was against us, of this handwriting that was contrary to us. Okay, that Jesus, by his suffering, by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which he blotted out. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. If you read in context, you see that the elements of this world is the Ten Commandments, the law, in short. Glory to Jesus. So, the law, this document, speaks bondage. We see that. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 to 11. This document meant bondage for us. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. So again, we see that the law is cursed for us. Glory to Jesus. The law is bondage. The law is cursed for us. That's why, you know, later on it says the just shall live. Not by the law, but by faith. Which faith? Faith 
in what Christ has done. Faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in all the things we have been learning so far that Christ did to save us, to save you and I. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So, we have seen the characteristics of the ordinance which was against us, which was contrary to us, which Jesus blotted out. So, he nailed it all to the cross, we have learned. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. He took them out. He blotted them out. Okay? So, what is the implication, okay, of this? When we say Jesus blotted out this ordinance against us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, what is then its implication, the implication of that to us? It means that the believer, I'm talking about those who have put their faith in Christ, those who have received that which Christ has done for them, okay? Those who have believed Christ even for the salvation of their souls. Those who have believed in the message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ to save them. Okay? So the believer, the significance of all of this is that the believer is not only forgiven, is not only pardoned, but is discharged and acquitted. Okay? Not pardoned, not forgiven, is discharged and acquitted. That means there is no longer a record of offense against your name. Glory to Jesus. I thought you, 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 you would express more joy than that. Oh, come on. That means there's no more record of sins against you. No more record of wrongdoings. No more death to your name. Glory to Jesus. That means your slate is wiped clean. Every evil record, every ordinance against you is blotted out. What is that ordinance? The law. That means the, the Ten Commandments can no longer be used as a yardstick to measure your qualification or your status or your relationship with God. Glory to Jesus. That means right now, you are, as you have the receipt of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can now declare, you and I, who believe in Christ Jesus, we can now boldly declare, we are righteous, I am holy, I am justified, I have never sinned. Glory to Jesus. Because that's actually the true extent of this. It is as though we never did any wrong. Wow. No wonder scripture says you are a new creature. You never existed before. You had no past. In fact, you had never sinned. Your entire life of sin blotted out. Why? Because of Christ's work. Expiating on your behalf. Glory to Jesus. Christ's work. Expiating on your behalf. So again, the law can no longer be used as a yardstick to measure your relationship or your status before God. Glory to Jesus. Let's see Romans chapter 8 verse 4. Romans chapter 8 verse 4. Hallelujah. Romans 8 4. What does it say? Romans chapter 8 verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That is talking about you and I that have put our faith in Christ Jesus. So right now, the righteousness of the law, the requirements of the law, is not fulfilled by us, but it has been fulfilled by God in us. Did you get that? The righteous requirements of the law has been fulfilled in us. Glory to Jesus. And guess what? As I begin to wrap up today, this issue, this concept of expiation, this reality that Jesus, by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, has blotted out every record of wrongdoing, glory to Jesus, is not anything strange in the scriptures. You know, this was prophesied by the prophets. Let's see Jeremiah's prophecy about this. Jeremiah chapter 31. This was testified unto, prophesied ahead of time by the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 31. I will read from verse 31. Glory to Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. What covenant is that? The whole covenant, the ten 
the Ten Commandments, the covenant of the law. Glory to Jesus. My covenant, which they broke, they exchanged you know, the, 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 the covenant that God is about to reintroduce. Okay, This covenant that is the new is not actually a new one. It was the original that was replaced, that was exchanged by those people. Glory to Jesus. So what we call the new covenant is actually not the new covenant. The old covenant was an interruption of the real order, which is what we now call the new covenant. God restoring that covenant that was exchanged is what he's talking about here. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be the God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Did you see that? Oh, that talks about the blotting house, the expiation work of Christ, of God in Christ. Glory to Jesus. Towards man, concerning man. Let's see Ezekiel chapter 36. Something similar. Okay, you can just take that down because of our time. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 to 28 also tells us something similar. A similar prophecy talking about that which we now have as our reality today. Glory to Jesus. Let's see uh, 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 the writer of Hebrews communicating this to the Jews of those days. After Jesus had died, of course. After Jesus had completed the plan. Glory to Jesus. Had, had, had completed the execution of the plan. Glory to Jesus. Let's see Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So the writer of Hebrews is here referencing. You remember that prophecy as it is written. Okay? This is it. This is it. The covenant is here. Your sins and your iniquities, your lawless deeds, I will remember no more, says the Lord. We also see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, the same record. And in fact, Jesus actually confirmed the reality. Even before he died, Jesus gave us an hint, gave those people an hint about this reality. What happened? John chapter 8. You remember that woman that was caught in adultery? What did Jesus say? Woman, who are those that accuse thee? Who are those that condemn thee? Okay, anyone condemn you? The woman said, no. Said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Glory to Jesus. That was a teaser of the reality that we now have in Christ Jesus. Those of us who believe. Okay, glory to Jesus. Christ does not condemn you. Christ will never condemn you. Christ is the one who expiated on your behalf. He is the one, as we have learned, who redeemed you. Christ is the one who, 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 based on foreknowledge, he predestined you to be found in him. Glory to Jesus. Christ is the one who reconciled you to himself. Glory to Jesus. Salvation is the entire work of God, people of God. Ah, I'm so excited already. So, if all these are true, that means there is no record of sins in heaven. There is no such thing as a day when there will be a big screen or a big crystal ball in heaven and then you see all your sins. No such thing. I wonder where that came from. There is no such thing. All record against you and I, we who believe in Christ Jesus, are blotted out. They are blotted out. Can you imagine? To say that would happen is to accuse God of not being love uh, 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 by himself. And we know that God is love, right? Okay, he that loveth, loveth not knoweth not for God is love. Glory to Jesus. So if God is love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love bears no record of wrongdoing, of wrongs. How can you accuse God of bearing such a record? God says here, I will remember no more. Not that God will suffer memory loss, but the fact that the record, the written record will be blotted out. And the good news, 
this has an eternal effect. It is not just until you know this. It's not just until you get, get born again. Because even your life before you got born again was in the future of all these things that God did. Glory to Jesus. Remember, from before the foundation of the heart, even though it played out, the plan was executed, no, physically, was executed materially over 2,000 years ago. You are not 2,000 years old. That means everything that happened before you came to the knowledge of Christ was also in the future of what Christ did. So if what Christ did is enough to clear your past, it is enough to clear your present and your future because they are all in the same timeline of what Jesus did. Everything God does, God is an eternal God. Everything he gives is eternal. Everything he does is eternal. His gifts and callings are without repentance. Glory to Jesus. That is what we have. That is what we have. Glory to Jesus. Can someone declare with me, I am righteous. You who believe in Christ Jesus, you are righteous. You are accepted. You are accepted in the beloved. Okay, your acceptance is not based on you. It's based on Jesus' and his finished work. Glory to Jesus. Oh, I am justified. Oh, I am discharged. I am acquitted. I am without charge. No evil record. No record of sins against you. No record of sins against me. We will believe in Christ Jesus. We are eternally justified. We are eternally spotless. Eternally blameless. Glory to Jesus. As I wrap up, again, who did the expiation? Who did? You? No. Please do not try to expiate for yourself. Someone has done that. God himself has done that. All you have to do to show that you appreciate what, what he has done is to receive that which he has done. I like to make this illustration. Imagine as a son, you work so hard, you work over time to get a gift for your father. And then on the birthday, you know, on, on the day you ought to present the gift to your father, your father looks at, at, at the gift and just says, hmm, okay, and then throws it in the bin or ignores that. How would you feel? The best thing, the most honorable thing you can do in response to all these things that Christ has done for you is to take your place, is to receive that which he has done. And can I announce to you, everything that Christ did, he did for your sake. Everything that Christ did, he did for my sake. Christ did nothing for his sake. Let me say that again. Nothing that Christ did was for himself. Everything he did was for you and I. His death was our death. His burial was our burial. His resurrection was our resurrec resurrection. Glory to Jesus. In fact, right now he's seated in glory. That is you and I seated in glory. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of how, although he was rich, he became poor, that we, through his poverty, may become rich. This is not talking about riches, dollars, and naira, and then pounds. No, it's not talking about that. Because Jesus himself was not rich. If it says he was rich, but he became poor. Jesus was never rich throughout his, his earthly life. In fact, he needed a miracle to pay a simple tax. He was broke because he didn't come to make money. He came for you and I. He came to save. He came to die. He didn't come to, to amass wealth. He didn't need any of that. He came to die. Everything he did, he did for us. How did he become rich? No, how, how did he become poor? How was he rich? Him being God and becoming man, that is poverty. That is going from rich to poor. The highest form of poverty is for God himself, the maker of heavens and the heart, to become man. That is poverty. Glory to Jesus. And he became that so that through his poverty, through him becoming man, through God becoming man, we may become God. Glory to Jesus. We may become, no, he may become firstborn amongst many sons. So we become like him. No wonder First John chapter 4 verse 17. As he is, so are we in this world. So he became us so that we may become him. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So everything he did, he did for us. Everything he did. And it is for you to take it. You are someone out there 
you have heard this message, you have not yet received that. What is stopping you? What is stopping you? I beseech you, receive this gift, this free gift that is so available for you. Receive this gift. So again, who did the expiation? God did the expiation. God himself in Christ. What is the role of man? What is your role? Your role is to receive it. Believe and receive it. And you come into the reality of all these things that we have been sharing. Wow. How do you come in? By putting your faith in Christ Jesus. Putting your faith in the message of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Believing in your heart. Okay? That he died. He was buried. And he was raised again for your salvation. That is all you need even to come into the reality of all these things. Is there anything else you need to do? Nothing else for you to do. Just believe, receive, come into this reality. That is the offer of salvation. This is salvation, the free gift of God. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Come on, give God praise. It's been a pleasure having you join us on today's podcast. We hope you were blessed. If you have never at any time confessed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and would like to do this, please say these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all my sins. You raised him from the dead and is alive today. By his sacrifice, I am forever forgiven, forever justified, and forever saved. Christ lives in me, and as he is, so am I in this world. Amen. Congratulations, you are now a member of God's family. He is now Father to you. We encourage you to grow daily by the knowledge of Christ. Until next time, remember you are greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved.